Welcome to the Rosenbox, where dancers go for show prep and candid chat. I'm Claire Kretschmar, and I'm Aron Sands, and we are dancers with New York City Ballet. Hey, Claire Kretschmar, what's today's episode about? So today's episode, we are going to talk about the importance of teaching, and specifically within the context of the Balanchine technique the School of American Ballet and New York City Ballet. And we're also going to hear from one former dancer in New York City Ballet, one current dancer in New York City Ballet, about the transition from dancer to teacher, which is often a natural trajectory Mm -hmm. for a lot of dancers. And I think it's a very interesting topic to explore. I 100% agree, and I'm so excited to have at the pod here with us today, Suki Shore and Anthony Huxley in a little bit. And if I can tell you a little bit about Suki Shore is that she is a former principal dancer with New York City Ballet and currently teacher and faculty member at SAB. And actually coming up in 2022 will be her 50th year as permanent faculty member of SAB, which is School of American Ballet. She danced in San Francisco Ballet prior to joining New York City Ballet in 1959. And in 1968, she became a principal dancer with the company, dancing roles from Apollo, Serenade, Concerto Barocco, Stars and Stripes, to just name a few. Also here with us today, we'll have Anthony Huxley. Anthony is a current principal dancer with New York City Ballet, and he's also faculty member at SAB, and somehow juggling those two jobs at the same time, which is an incredible feat. Yeah, because we know how demanding the job is at New York City Ballet right now, and he's a fantastic technician and artisan on the stage. And he's performed roles in many of the black and white ballets, Mm -hmm. like Agon, The Four Temperaments, uh, the the melancholic solo. Um, he's been Oberon in A Midsummer Night's Dream, and he's also been someone that choreographers have frequently used in their new pieces. So he'll be a wonderful candidate to talk to about this subject of dancing professionally and also a growing in the craft through teaching and educating the, the next generation of students. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's worth pointing out, too, that the both of us went to SAB, School right. of American Ballet. We can just say SAB from now on. But um, we both went to SAB for what's called the the winter term or the, the year-round the program. Year program yeah. yeah. But prior to that, we also did something that – many dancers do, which is going to the summer programs. And for that, I know both of us auditioned yeah. and were uh, taken by the teachers of SAB, who at the time visited wherever we were mm-hmm. at that time when we were in our teens. And Actually, they... I sent a video. You sent... Oh, you yeah. sent a video? Yeah. Wow. I tell mean, us I, more. We're, we're going to get into the story once okay, Suki okay. gets here because she... <laughs> Has a, a she plays a big part mm-hmm. on me coming to America and becoming part of City Ballet. But 
um, yeah, I actually sent a video. Wow, yeah. Very old school. Very old school, yeah. yeah I didn't even, I, I mean, I barely understood what this ballet career and training entailed. So all I knew is that one of my ballet teachers told me to go here. And you do as you're told. And we did, <laughs> I did. And so did my parents too, yeah. because we oh, didn't, yeah, you know, like the parents no also. No one knows nothing. No one, yeah, no one knows anything about this career, we which. We come from showbiz families. We do not. I mean, most of us don't anyway. <laughs> um, that, yeah, that would have been nice to have a little foot in the door. But, yeah. you know, it's, it, again, it, it gives a lot of. It would have been a finger on the door. We didn't have a finger. We didn't have anything. <laughs> Um, so kudos to us. We yeah, you know we're we're here. We're yeah. somewhere. No matter who and where you're from, you can you can make it happen. You can make it big. What's the New York, yeah. isn't New York City's motto something like Literally. that? Literally, if you can make it here, you can make, make it anywhere. Anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, here we are. And um, but yes, we're gonna be talking about the importance of teaching and how that has shaped us immensely mm-hmm. from our School of American Ballet days to now being in New York City Ballet, and then also how a lot of dancers go back to the school setting to train the next yeah. generation, and how beautiful it is that there's this... The cycle. S- the cycle, mm-hmm. yeah, of, of receiving information in the ballet technique and then uh, using it on stage and then passing it on to the next generation mm-hmm. so that it doesn't stop. Yeah. Yeah, I also think it's very important to bring up the importance of the school and how important it's been always for New York City Ballet since it is the main school that feeds dancers and how much uh, Mr. B. Balanchine emphasized on creating a school in order to form the dancers according to his vision of what ballet should look like in America. Yeah, because in America, there was no formal institution or training. Or much to, history. Yeah, or not a lot of history, certainly. And uh, George Balanchine, together with Lincoln Kirstein, really established, I, would, I, I believe, the first, if not one of the first, American ballet schools. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, I recently watched this documentary in Balanchine's classroom, and... Like one of the the former dancers in the company describes how the American dancers who were young were very rough because they didn't have mm. they didn't have a formal training they mm-hmm. so they were kind of rough around the edges and when George Balanchine came over to America uh, with the help of Lincoln Kirstein and famously said George Balanchine said but first a school. That was really the grounds for shaping these rough around the edges mm-hmm. dancers in America and forming them to be ballerinas mm-hmm. on the stage. And yeah, it is important to remember that the root of New York City Ballet lies in a school. Mm-hmm. And the importance that is given to the uh, fostering of the style as well as the technique that requires to dance Balanchine Ballets from an early age. Yeah, and because ultimately the point of the technique is to serve the artist, the, yeah, for the, the dance. Yeah, will go on stage Yes, later. yes, exactly. And uh, we actually just 
performed one of the the original ballets of New York City Ballet, of the School of American Ballet, Serenade. Mm-hmm. And that ballet was created at the same time that the school was being shaped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the prime example of how the technique ultimately served the beauty of the ballet. And now we have this gem that is Serenade uh, that New York City Ballet and companies around the world Mm -hmm. perform. And, you know, we have these different instructors that also facilitate the guidance of the dynamic and the aesthetic of the Balanchine style in those ballets too, which is an entirely different subject, but also important. But yeah, we'll welcome Anthony and Suki soon. Well, I'm Suki Shore, and I'm so happy to be here talking with you on this podcast. It's my first podcast, so even at my age, there's a first for something. (laughs) (laughs) Please tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, let's see. I started dancing when I was very little because I was active, very active, and my parents didn't know what to do with me. I grew up in Berkeley, California, so I was at the local Dolly Dinkle School, and after a year, when I was eight and a half or nine, she said, your daughter is very talented, she said to my parents, Miss Dolly Dinkle, and she said, you need to take Suki to the San Francisco Ballet School. So they said, okay, and my parents started driving me across the bridge, because I grew up in Berkeley, which was on the other side of the bay, to San Francisco, and by the time I was 16, uh, Lou Christensen, the director, took me into that company. And uh, we went on some amazing tours, and we danced Balanchine Ballet. So that's when I first met Mr. B through his work, Serenade and Concerto Barocco. And I met the ballet mistress at that time was Vita Brown of the company, and she staged them for us. And then at the end of one of these incredible tours, we were coming through the Middle East, and we passed through New York on the way to California, and I got off the airplane and decided to stay for a while a month to see New York. And when I was here, I saw the New York City Ballet Company almost every night. I snuck in. After the first ballet, you could sneak in. You didn't have to have a pass anymore. And the the other girls that came from the San Francisco Ballet Company with me, we would sit at the top of city center and see these incredible ballets and unbelievable dancers. And I thought, this is a company I want to work for. I want to dance these ballets. I want to dance like these dancers. They just exploded out of the wings and had so much energy and their legs went up in the air. I mean, my leg was hip high, and their <laughs> legs were over their heads. So meantime, every day I was taking about five ballet classes because I thought it's the last time I'll be in New York. So I would go to School of American Ballet, then I'd take Joffrey's class, and then I took uh, ABT's class, and all over town I was taking classes. And one day Mr. B walked into the studio. It was the last combination that Mr. Flodimirov was giving, which was a little enchacat step. And it was one of the things I could do. I had a great enchacat. And so a lot of the students moved to the back of the room when he came in. But I thought it was Mr. B, but I wasn't sure. But I stood very close to him, right in the front there, and did my little enchacat. Then he left, and I left. And then I decided to audition. And so I phoned Vita Brown, the one person I knew, that was connected really to the company. And she said, well, she would get me in touch with Janet Reed, who was now the ballet mistress. And so I got in touch with Janet Reed, and she said, well, I want to look at you before I tell Mr. Balanchine about you. So come to the theater, and I'll give you a bar. 
So I came to the theater, and she said, well, I think he'd like you. And I, I said things like, well, does he want me to be placed, or does he want my leg to go up? He wants both. He wants your leg to go up <laughs> and you to be placed. I said, oh, well, because my legs didn't go up very high. Anyway, she said, I think he'll like you, uh, so you can come back. I'll arrange an audition for you. And so she called and said, come to the theater on a Monday, which was the free day. Uh, he's going to be on the stage. Just come to the stage, and then he'll take a look at you. So I came to the stage, and he was rehearsing Pat Wilde and another dancer, Jonathan Watts. And he said, didn't I see you in class? You had the black leotard on. I said, well, yes. Well, everybody was wearing a black leotard. <laughs> and he said, your contract's upstairs. And I said, oh, I don't, I don't know if I can. He said, I'm really busy rehearsing. Could you talk to the company manager about your contract? So I got up to Betty Cage, the company manager, and she said, yes, here's your contract. And I said, well, I have to talk to the director of the San Francisco Ballet first. I can't just leave. I have to at least talk to him and tell him what I'm doing. Well, he's coming to town tomorrow, and this is the hotel he'll stay at. It was on 58th Street, the Buckingham Hotel. Talk to him at 10 o'clock and sign your contract at 11. I said, okay, and so that's what happened. So that's how I got into the company, and there I was in the company, and it was so exciting. Am I talking too much? No, Keep going, keep going. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is so the, interesting yeah. to the, us. The, the summer tour, it was, I, I auditioned in May, and then I phoned my parents and said, I'm moving to New York. So I went home, and I packed, and I moved back to New York, and how old were you at the time, though? I looked 16, huh? but I was 21. <laughs> and I don't know if Mr. B knew how old I was, but I looked really young, very young. In fact... You uh, still do. One, yeah. of the, one of the mothers of a girl, a dancer named Ruth Ann King, said, you need to lie about your age. You tell, tell everybody you're 16. Don't say you're 21. <laughs> but I never did that. It's like a secret weapon. Right. But I, 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 she uh, didn't was, need it. I didn't. I just... <laughs> anyway, so I was 21. So it was a time when Mr. Balanchine started to really be interested in the company again because they had done a big tour to Australia, a three-month tour, and many dancers had left. That's why they, they needed mm. dancers and why he could take me like that. And Tenny, his wife, who had, had gotten polio in 56, had recovered as much as she was going to do. But Mr. B took like two years off from the company to help help her as much as he could. And this was 1959 when I joined. And um, so he started teaching these incredible classes, explaining, trying to get the company back into the kind of shape he wanted it, explaining each step to us. And it blew my mind because nobody ever had taught a class like that, how to do plie with resistance, how to move in front of your nose, why we did it, why we needed a plie to collect the energy, not just bend the knees, drop down and up, but to use your muscles and resist every single step he analyzed. And he could see that I was just hanging on each word that he said. And after I got more comfortable in the company, Dan just would come to me and say, well, how do you do that? Because he'd say, that's right, Suki. And then pretty soon he said, well, if you have a question, ask Suki. So all of a sudden, I was very involved with helping people improve and loving helping them. And this is very interesting because you are starting to unpack the, the, the transition vocational yeah. call that you received early on to be a teacher and a mentor and to dancers. Yes, and dancers. I, I mean, I, I loved it. Yeah. And so it was a time also in the company, the Ford Foundation gave the Mr. Balanchine and the New York City Ballet a lot of money and the school to go out and try to raise the level of teaching in the United States. So he took me out 
on auditions with him. We went to Dayton, Ohio, and we sat together, and he said, now, what do you think about this student? What do you think about that? And he said, it's not important how they look right now. It's what's inside, what you think you can get out of them when you teach them in a different way. We also were sent out to other schools to help the teachers learn to teach better. So it was really a wonderful learning time, and I didn't realize how fortunate I was. There I was with next to Mr. B and having him explain how to look for dancers and how to look for talent and, you know, certain things you couldn't change, a little bit of an art you could make more, but if it was absolutely nothing there and totally stiff all over in the hips and no turnout at all, you could get a little more, but it wouldn't be maybe enough to make it because you have to have certain qualifications to dance. So then I had my career of dancing too. Became a soloist and then I eventually became a principal dancer and I had wonderful parts to dance and he made a few parts for me special that were so exciting because when he choreographed for you, it fit like a glove. Mm. And if it didn't fit, he'd just change the step like that. Looks like you're a little winded. Well, let's say not jump now, do sous-sous passe or sous-sous. He'd just change the step. He knew more about each dancer And that was the other thing. He knew each dancer so well. I mean, he knew about my parents. He knew I grew up in Berkeley, California. He knew my father was a writer. He knew so much about each dancer. He made it his point to learn about us. And he would, you know, take one person out for a lunch or for a coffee or this or that and, and learn about every member. And the company was so small, 35 people. So... Anybody who wanted to be in that class with him got attention, and and then he had so much to offer. Then there were these Ford Foundations where he invited teachers into the school, and those classes could last um, four hours where he analyzed each step, what to do again. And one year, I think there were four years that they had the Ford Foundation seminars when they brought teachers into the school. I think it was a layoff, and he came to me and he said, can you help me? There's Everybody's disbanded. I, I, and I said, well, I have a ticket to meet my parents in Greece, but let me change it. So, I mean, I wasn't missed the opportunity to be with him, when, you know, to see my yeah. parents. <laughs> I'd grown up with them. So uh, I changed my ticket, and it was just Mr. Valentine and me in the seminar teaching the teachers what to look for. So I had an incredible education on how to help people improve and, and grow and understand why the reason why you do this. For me, that was so important, not just do this. That's how I had been taught, do this. But why to do it? Wow. And, and so um, yeah. that's, I think I told you my story. It's a beautiful story. And I'm, I'm thinking how much I, I've been a witness to the, the beauty of George Balanchine's teaching through you at the school and how many of those things that you just described you've implemented and also continue to foster in the the next generation of teachers mm, as well. I hope so, because uh, now we have such wonderful young teachers. It's yeah, and there's such one right Anthony. here, Anthony, <laughs> which is a great segue. Let's. Uh, I just got here. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> um, yeah, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us how how you came to New York City Ballet, and then could you also share a little bit of how you began to teach at the School of American Ballet? Yes. I had a similar story to Suki, actually. I am also from Northern California, Walnut Creek, which is like 20 minutes from Berkeley. Um, I also went to a Dolly Dinkle school to start because I just had a lot of energy and danced around. And Miss Dolly Dinkle said, why don't you try San Francisco Ballet School? And so I went and auditioned 
and I got in there. I didn't make it all the way through San Francisco Valley, but that's for another time. Um, so I went to another school, which then my first Balanchine Valley was staged by Suki. It was Tarantella. Wow. Yeah. How old were you at this point? I was four, 13 or 14, I think. That's young. Yeah, and I did Tarantella, wow. and she came and staged it. Um, and it, he was so good. <laughs> oh, my God. Do we have video footage anywhere? Somewhere. My dad has it. Oh, we fabulous. Should find that. We should. Wow. Yeah, and then I auditioned for the school, actually, and Suki was the person teaching the class. Yep. And I remember she came and she tests the foot. She's picking my leg up. I remember at the time I didn't think I was flexible enough because my leg wasn't, like, on my ear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I guess it was high enough because I got in. <laughs> well, then, didn't you get a scholarship? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, with a lot. Oh, well, then it must with have been many stars and eight pluses. <laughs> you but better you, come, baby. You never know. You never know when you're in audition. Yeah, um, you don't. You yeah. never know. Yeah, so then I went to the school for three years. Then I got in the company. And then I was asked to teach about, I think, five years ago. I started with the fellowship program that the school started, which is more geared towards, like, the little kids. And, you know, I actually had never heard of it before. I knew it was kind of there, but I didn't know exactly what it was. But they asked me if I was interested, and I said, yeah, sure, why not? I would love to give it a try and see what it is. And so you go and you watch class with the little kids, and then you go to all the meetings where you discuss the curriculum about you know, starting in plies and slow tendus and how you slowly develop, like, the shape of the foot and the strength and the développé and the fondues and all that stuff. So I started with that for about two years, and then I sort of started graduating towards the intermediate and advanced classes. And so now I'm sort of part-time, full-time faculty, and I kind of teach every single level there is in the school. And also, don't you teach variations? Yes, variations too. And it's so important to see someone like you doing the variation. I yeah. mean, what a model for them, a visual model. Yeah. yeah. How is it balancing New York City Ballet job, the schedules, the rehearsals, and the performing, and also teaching? Like, do you have to do things differently, uh, manage yeah. your schedule really well? I've honestly found it very nice because I think when we all have sort of one focus, you know, I have the show, I have this ballet, you get stuck and you overthink. But I think being able to sort of like in my day, go to the school and like take my mind off of it for a little bit and then come back and perform kind of helps me balance that sort of anxiety of performing a little bit. And also, you know, if you're exhausted, you just say, you know, I can't teach today and they find someone else. I think I found a nice balance for myself with it. Yeah. The last year that I danced, I taught six classes a week at the school. Mm. I found it it was hard for me to teach at the school and dance because I couldn't just concentrate on my body. You know, mm-hmm. I, I would teach full out, and then my legs would be cramped and stiff and tight and to warm up again and get the toe shoes on and all that. And your muscles react differently mm-hmm. if yeah. you've been teaching full out and they then you heavy. have to warm up your own body for your own performance it's it's a different so i found that hard so um i left the company in 72 to become a full-time teacher because mr valentine asked me to take over the education department and i so enjoyed passing on all the knowledge that i had i just thought well this is a good time you know i'm going to be doing this other job and the school needs me and so it happened and this still do and they said, yes. well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever find that the students teach you? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Like every single time. And it's so interesting to watch, 
you know, you don't realize why do you do sur le coup de pied? Like, mm -hmm. what's the purpose? But then as you teach and you see, you go, oh, this is why it's like to shape the foot, to work on the turnout and like how you present the leg and all those little things you never really thought about when you were taking class. You see that every single thing has a specific purpose mm -hmm. in class. It's not just you're just doing it to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Suki, yeah. You, I mean, you've written extensively on Balanchine technique um, mm -hmm. in your book, especially Suki Shore on Balanchine technique. Could you share or even just summarize what the Balanchine technique is about? Well, as Mr. B said that uh, he taught because he wanted his ballets to look a certain way and that he'd be known as a teacher, but he didn't say he'd be known for his ballets, but of course his ballets are all over the world now. So he refined the technique and made it very clear and specific, making the gestures legible. And the way he taught with the weight on the balls of the feet, ready to go in, like he would say, pounce like a cat. So you could go here or there anyway, because we're ready to move, so that we can change directions in an instant. And his ballets, he can make them go here to there, to there, to there. We're ready to go because of the technique that he trained us in. And then he refined how we picked the legs up off the floor, just as uh, Anthony was saying, the toes back or, and lift the knee and then turn it out like the elephant's trunk or like a snake around a tree, like almost like you have no bones in your leg. It unfolds in a certain way. And the timing of each step, because the most important thing was to be in time and on time for Mr. B. If you weren't in time, it wasn't dancing for him. And all that we learned in class, to start on time, to end on time, to stay in the time of each step, not make up your own time. And he set the timing for the pianist and for us by his one, two, and a one. So that's why the one, two, it shouldn't just be any pianist playing one, two the way they want. He'd say one, two, and a one, and a two, or if it was slower or faster, he would set the timing very specifically. And then snap his fingers to keep us in timing. By the way he taught us, we learned to move extremely fast. We also learned to move extremely slow, like jump and land into a really slow plie, or to lift the leg very high and slowly, lift it up slowly, close to your body. He would say, out of your décolleté evening gown. Lift that knee up and out. And then that same movement in one count, a one. So. In all directions, he was pushing us to move slower, to move faster, to move bigger and very small and fast, and then run and shoot. And he'd use like wham, bam, jump, fly, explode, different terms. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what you see in the old comic strips, bang, zap, whap, just one word. And you got the idea, move and go fast and make a picture. You know, it was all there. So... That's really what he taught us, and to make it beautiful. A lot of épaulement. At the bar, we basically stayed pretty square and didn't use our head too much, maybe up and down, a little quasi with the head. But in the center, a lot of that, and then bending and moving. Some words that come to mind, too, are, I, well, I think about musicality a lot as absolutely. being, like, paramount. Yeah, absolutely. He said he never, he would never would have been a choreographer if it wasn't, he couldn't move unless yeah, he heard the unless music he heard first. Music. Yep. 
And that was the only reason to move was mm-hmm. music. Yeah. And then also another word that comes to mind is like dynamic. And I had a similar reaction to you when I first saw Serenade when I was maybe 14. And I was just in awe because I had never seen anything like that before. But I knew that the moves perfectly matched the music. And it was unlike any other style that I'd ever seen. So, yeah, yeah, thank you for sharing the the balancing technique because we toss that word around a lot. Mm -hmm. But we don't always unpack it, and especially mm-hmm. for people who might come to the ballet, they might see the beauty but not understand that there's a foundation there. And that's why Very. we have teachers who yes. really know what they're doing. And, and of course, as Anthony mentioned, there's this curriculum now that I don't. Has that always been in place, this curriculum, or is that kind of a new There was a curriculum that... Tumi Tumkovsky and Madame Duden and Mr. Balanchine worked on together. Mm-hmm. And I think off of that, they based this newer one that's not handwritten anymore. It used to be somebody, Miss Duden, or somebody wrote it out in hand. It was an old, old. I have a copy of it at home. And it only goes through level uh, children's five. Mm-hmm. And then it sort of stopped, but there were certain steps that Tumkovsky and Miss Duden would always give almost the same steps, repeat them and repeat them. A fondue step. It could be A, B, or C fondue, but, you know, it would vary, but it would be the same idea. And then by the time they got into the upper levels, it was more up to the individual teacher looking to see what that class needed. Did they need more work on beats? Did they need more work on placement or pirouettes? Or And also the way the school works is that one class isn't for just one teacher. Mm-hmm. You ha- Maybe I teach the same class twice or three times a week. But other teachers also teach that class, which is good because they can have their input and they're not going to get one-sided swayed how only one teacher teaches. So I think at the lower levels, it's good to have more or less the same basic idea and structure of the class. But when they get older, especially Mr. B said, well, we'll teach them variations because then you can have this and that and this, a whole mixed salad, so to speak. And the other, we could have a more, you know, meat and potatoes menu. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those are good analogies. Something you mentioned that I think it was one of the biggest benefits I got from going to the school and moving to America. You're so exposed to different teachers compared to home where I only had one teacher and the teacher was great. But like I have that teacher for years because there's not that much variety in one school only it's that was one of the fascinating things is to be exposed to different teachers every day different classes everybody sees a different thing you're hearing sometimes the same thing but with different words different Mm -hmm. approach and I think that really helps the students to get the essence of what the technique is yeah yeah and then to be able to go to the ballet and see it on the stage yes of course I'm just sitting, looking at all of you because I brought you. Oh, I want to talk about this. Oh, this is a great time. Okay, let's go. We're ready. We're ready for this story. Well, also just pointing out that I never realized how much of beyond of the teaching skills requires to be like a full teacher. Because the scouting part of it, it's like constantly for you guys when you go and teach elsewhere. So you might teach classes elsewhere and you're not auditioning, but you're seeing the talent. And it's always in the back of your mind almost to recruit the talent that you see and to bring it 
which is very similar to the history I have with Suki, how I always tell the story very much as um, like when the supermodels get discovered. <laughs> you know, Tyra Banks um, allegedly got discovered walking through an airport. And my story is not quite as fascinating. I was just taking Suki's class, but she's the person that... In an airport? I, <laughs> <laughs> she's very much the person that discovered me and said, hey, I think you will be interested in coming to America, checking it out and see what we can do for you. That's because it was in Madrid we met. Yeah. Yeah, she was. It was. I was taking my third summer intensive and Suki was teaching. I think you might have been there because you were going to maybe a, a, some tango. Oh, I could have been a, do, yeah. a tango festival. A tango something. festival maybe in Italy and then you stopped in, right. in Madrid because you knew... You had friends there, I and then friends. they asked you to teach, teach at right. this little, like, steps kind of place. And then and then I remember my parents being like, do you really want to take, like, a third summer intensive? And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> I was like, when do I get the chance to take class from someone from New York City Ballet? The, the exposure was none. So, yeah, and from there. And then it led to this. Yeah. And, and and it's very funny because I didn't speak a word of English. And like after the first class we took, Suki came up to me and was like, what's your name? What's your height? What's your address? How much do you weigh? <laughs> very specific questions about, you know, where where I was going possibly in my life to see if she could do something. And she sure did. Right, right. I, well, I'm good. Happy that you got you came. Yeah, and you see still see your parents. I still Has do. Your, have they ever come here? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, they've yeah. It, well prior to the pandemic, they comes like they come once a year, and when we've gone on tour to Europe, they've gone to see all the shows we uh-huh. did. Oh, wonderful! Yeah. So they see you in action. And I remember Claire when we wanted you to stay the first summer, and I then your parents said or you said, no, she's going to learn to cook and drive the car. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, I'm, I have such an infamous story. <laughs> and I said it'll be okay. Some of the teachers said, no, it's now or never. I said, no, she's going to be okay. She can go back and learn to drive the car and come back. Yeah, that's nice to hear your perspective <laughs> because it did feel like now or never. And yes, my parents said that I needed to learn how to cook and drive but but it's reassuring to hear that you said you were like she'll be okay she'll come when the time is right and I think that is how like I don't think you were ready to leave your parents and that also happened to Jenny Ringer yeah she the school wanted her I wanted her but she she wanted to go home for another year and some of the people said oh well we need her now we need we wanted her now but she was going to be okay she had so much talent she was in a good school there she was learning there and so she's going to be six months later, maybe, developing in your whole life. Yeah. It yeah, that's... Fun. And uh, your emotional mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. that's what I think is, is important, the emotional life, because that gives you the stability to do this to difficult mm-hmm. career, mm-hmm. truly, because there's so many uh, emotional, mental components to being a professional dancer that if you don't have a stable background it just makes it harder it's not impossible but it makes it harder so yeah I I was happy to stay at home for a while and and I think too a lot of dancers have a really great work ethic 
So as long as you as a young student are very focused in the classes that you have with the teachers in front of you, I do think that dancers can still learn a lot. Mm -hmm. And you're so young. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes. say, yeah. I, I didn't come to New York till I was 21, and I had, mm -hmm. and yeah. I had a lot to learn at 21, True. and I learned a lot. You know, it was thrilling. Mm -hmm. So you could come at 17 or 16 and, Still learn, really and learn a lot. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. It's to come at, but now you can't come at 21 and learn a lot unless you get into the company like I was lucky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you are actually a, a rare case of Very. someone who doesn't go straight from School of American Ballet to New York City Ballet because I don't know what the percentage is, but I think it's quite it, high. It's oh yeah, like nine, probably like ninety-eight percent of ninety-nine. I think only it's, a few yeah, uh, go, very guys, very, a very yeah. few, um, don't come straight from yes, School of American Ballet. At yeah. least one year in yeah. the school before they get mm -hmm. into the company, but things were much different in '59. And as I said, the company was small, and I think fifteen dancers left, and they needed dancers. Yeah, and they weren't all ready at the school, ready-made, and because I had performed and knew how to put makeup on and had been touring and knew how to travel and a lot of things. It was not just taking a 15-year-old, which mm -hmm. is hard for them to learn everything, learn how to put their makeup on, learn how to be, learn a ballet. Learn. Yeah. I had learned all that. Mm -hmm. so was, yeah, you had some skills in your back pocket And you already. made up for the time that you didn't go to SAB as a kid as later on. And, and I did. I worked like a demon. <laughs> <laughs> and in, in 2022, um, it will be your 50th anniversary. It will be. As a permanent faculty member. That Having a party? Is true. Yeah, you should. Uh, well, I'll tell the school. I'll yeah. party. <laughs> um, we'll see what happens, maybe. Has teaching really changed from when you started to what it's like now? Has the school or my teaching? Or, yeah, you, you're my teaching, teaching personally has, or, or uh -huh. just almost in like general? Has teaching uh, changed? I have changed my teaching and the school has changed because when I joined, they were the, the original Russian teachers that mm -hmm. Mr. B started in 1934. Madam Tumkowski came in 44 or something and Duden. And there was Elise Ryman, who had been in Mr. Valentin's original, or almost the original 1934 company, and then started teaching, and then left and came back. There was uh, Pierre Vladimirov, who was married to Madame Dubrovska. There was Obukov, who also came early, early, early on the beginning of the school. So there hadn't been a Stanley Williams. He didn't come until 64, and I joined in 59. So all the teachers, Miss Stewart, Miro Stewart was there. She had come from Pavlova. She had worked with Anna Pavlova and had come. And So all the teachers that were there when I joined the faculty were all almost all the original teachers. I think Andrei Glevsky might have been at the school when I joined. And he had been in the company for Mr. Valentine. So he was a younger member of the faculty. And then when I joined the faculty, they were all there. Mm -hmm. uh, Stanley was there, and Madame Danilova had come. Then they brought in Kramarevsky. Kameso then came, and Karin came and left. And, and then we have Susie Pilar, and now we have all these young, wonderful teachers. So Anthony Huxley, et cetera. And Lauren and King, more. and many, many more. more. To come. Right. Did you feel like your earlier classes were more like a balancing class or more like a Russian class that you thought maybe I was think better? My, well, Balanchine's bar work was very simple. Two grand plié, first, second, fifth. 
portobello forward and back. Maybe. If you're lucky, you get a portobello. <laughs> uh, tondu, no plie, usually tondu straight. 16, 16, 16, faster, 8, 8, 8, faster, 4, 4, 4. So before Mr. Balanchine's class, I'd do a bar for 45 minutes, half an hour, every day before I would take his class because you never knew what you were going to get, especially when the classes became shorter and we had eight performances a week and rehearsal for five to six hours every day. The class was maybe 10.30 to 11.30 or 11 to 12, and then you're on. So that day I definitely did a 45-minute bar because sometimes we just do 10 minutes at the bar and work on Glissage de for Symphony in C or something. Mm. You know, you never knew exactly what you were going to get. It Can't was, do that at SAB. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. So I, I would give a longer bar when I started teaching. Mm-hmm. But Mr. Balanchine didn't want us to concentrate on learning the combination rather than on perfecting how, how we did it. the step. Mm-hmm. That was the thing. So if you can get the students to learn a little more complicated combination and also perfect how they're doing the step, well, there then that's go. good. Win-win. And be in the music. Yes, oh, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> Anthony, I was going to ask, um, what is your class like and who have been your inspirations as teachers? I like the word efficient. So I don't like extra this and that and this and that. Um, and I also like the speed you know not ridiculous speed but again moving efficiently quickly so you don't have all this extra stuff that you don't need Mm -hmm. because i think a lot of people they start adding this and they start adding that and you go no you don't need it like i don't save it for the stage yeah not even because i you don't see the dancer you don't see this person you just see all this extra stuff and i Mm -hmm. say i want to get rid of that you don't need it i just want it to be what it is i definitely steal from suki's class Susie's class and Kay's class Jack Soto, because that class was brutal. Mm-hmm. But I think it was so good, just as like a strength building. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sean Lavery, too, actually, because he had such a beautiful Porter Brown carriage. Yeah. That and, Adagio bar. Yes. Beautiful upper body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of that has crept he its way in. He was a beautiful in. dancer. Yeah. If you look at the videos when he was yeah, dancing, oh, it's beautiful. legs and feet. I feel like you're in a similar path as Suki. No, just like, because you literally come from, like, the, the same backgrounds, almost. <laughs> but, like, you're, you started teaching at the school at a point where, like, there's all these legends, icons. Yeah, that, right here. Yeah. You guys are the moment. And I love taking all their classes because I think it's so important. You know, you can read a book, like Suki's book, and say, the pot should rap and present, but, like, to feel it and then explain how it's supposed to, like, in your own body and then show it is so much better than just saying, well, you have to do it like this, do and then the right. yeah. student will be like, yeah, I'm doing this. And But then you have to show it and say, no, this is what it should look like. Do mm-hmm. you really do your class well when you're teaching? If I'm not seeing what I want, then I'll be like, this is you gotta what show I want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the kids are pretty smart, and yeah. all the teachers are good, so most of the time they know what it is. But maybe not the younger ones. The younger ones, yeah. Or the ones who are just starting out. You have to really show it but mm-hmm. i try i mean you know sometimes talking about balance you can't do too much <laughs> that's true tie yourself out before a show yeah yeah seriously though you yeah. have to kind of yeah balance all the different jobs yeah mm-hmm. one of the things that uh i like to get across for one point in the class is the joy of dance because you can work and work and work on 
picking up your foot and grandma ma with more energy and more speed. In the, but the joy of dance, why did you start to dance? You can't lose that because then you lose their enthusiasm and their desire. Mm -hmm. So you have to push them and then give them something that they like. Even in the younger classes, I find that. I used to teach level three. At one point, they just seemed so bored, you know, and restless. So I taught them the finale of the first movement regiment of Stars and Stripes. Uh, mm. Kick down, turning out. It's, it's mm, tricky. So and fun. the music, and it, oh, they could hardly wait to get to the finale <laughs> of Stars and Stripes. The little, I guess they were nine, ten-year-olds. Something so that they have a good time. That is so important because when we're performing at night, we know that it's coming and then you'll be able to enjoy yourself and have a great time. But when you're in the school and all you do is, you know, tondu, tondu, bar and center, it's it's hard to to remember. That you want to dance. Right. That you, yeah, yeah. And, and what dancing feels yeah. like. I think uh, variations class really helps with that mm. because I remember, yeah, I remember at certain points during the school year I would feel the same, like, this is starting to feel heavy, a little bit monotonous, even though it's still fun. But when you get to do a variation to music to and dance. it's that that it's the variation is so well curated, you do you feel the joy of dance at a higher level than maybe just doing the bar work, say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, For sure. Could you both talk about what it's like to teach variations, especially ones that you have performed mm -hmm. with the company? Well, me first, I guess. Yes. Um, well, of course, each variation is a little bit different depending on what it is. I love to dance Dewdrop. Tchaikovsky and a waltz is fantastic. So the joy of dancing that, and it's very challenging, but the steps fit the music. I mean, Mr. B was so ingenious with the steps and the music. So I tried to teach it slowly in the beginning, how to place the feet, how to use the upper body, how to express that, trying to talk about each step, how to put the foot on the floor when it's before a jump, don't let it turn in. But then at the end, let them dance. I remember Madame Dabrowska used to say, you work like mad in class and you think about everything, but when you're on stage, let go, just dance. Let the music carry you. So after they've learned it and they've heard all the corrections, you have to let them dance. Mm-hmm. And if the foot goes in, so it went in, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But in maybe next month, that won't. But for now, let them just have the fun. Yeah. I guess. So, so that's... I love teaching variations. Um, I think you get to really know the students a little better based on, like, when they come alive, based on certain ballets. Like, some will love doing something like Agon, that like more contemporary stuff and then you'll do something maybe a little more classical and then you see they shut down so you get to really know them that way in terms of what they like and what excites them and all that stuff and then i also like pushing them you know they don't realize they can jump higher or they can turn faster or beat a little quicker and then just saying you know do it again and turn faster and then they do it and i go see just do that and then seeing like they go oh yeah i guess i can do it and just every single time just getting them to go a little bit further and a little bit higher and faster and then you know after a couple of weeks you see them just as Sugi said just dance it and then you go like see where you, you started from here you moved like two inches and now you moved halfway across the floor and yeah it's kind of really heartwarming to see also what's stressful is teaching the variations that you do on stage later 
because you don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> you want to practice what you preach. Yeah, exactly. You say, I need to see this. And then you get on stage, you go, oops, I didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> but this is what Suki said. It's yeah. like you practice, practice, practice. Yeah. And then when you get to the stage, ultimately, yeah. like what the audience wants to see and hopefully is you dancing. Is yeah. you dancing. They want to not see a person thinking about the steps. Yeah. Just like someone's so absorbed in the music. Yes. Yeah. Which, what is it like to watch students mm. on the professional stages that you have taught? Especially Suki, because you've taught so, so many. many. It's really thrilling to see, because even at the school, you see them grow, grow, grow. And then when they do their workshop performance, it's, oh, I mean, sometimes I'm crying. And the first time I remember, it was a Concerto Baroque, I think. All of a sudden, I got so nervous. I mean, I started to perspire, and I realized it was out of my control. It was their dance. It was their performance. My work had finished. And the other night, I was at the ballet, and it was the same people I had t taught serenade to. Emily was the dark mm -hmm. angel, and Tyler Peck was doing the Russian girl who I taught her at the school, and Lauren Levitt was doing the waltz girl. It was like, oh, that's my cast. It was a different <laughs> order, but it was... And they all looked so beautiful. I mean, it was so moving to see... The little children that were 16 and 17 dancing at the workshop now, full-fledged principal dancers dancing up a storm. Oh, my gosh. It's really thrilling and exciting. I feel like I have so many children. I mean, I feel attached mm -hmm. to so many of the dancers because we spent so many hours in the studio. Mm -hmm. um, and what's also about a variation is what uh, Anthony was saying, that different dancers relate to different moods of the piece. So one person may love to fly around and do drop and jump, and the other one wants to do emeralds and feel the passion of that. Or, And I'm thinking of you when you did um, square dance for the yeah. workshop. I mean, that was so, you, you were perfect for that because your internal mood and poet could come out, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, were you the coach for that, Suki? Yeah, I, I staged yeah. it, yeah. I think the three of us have been in a Suki workshop ballet. Yeah, for yeah, the final you did. You, yeah, you did Vols Fantasy yeah. and you did Allegro. Oh Allegro, okay. Which I later got to do the same spot here oh. at the company. Same. Things same. come for full circle. Yeah, it's they really a, do. It's really awesome how that happens. Uh -huh. Like you do something in the school and you learn so much from like Doing whoever it. teaches uh -huh. it to you, yeah. And then when you get to the company, you have new layers that you add. And fortunately, you have this ground, this foundation. Yeah, you really know it. Of having already done it, yeah. So you're a little less nervous often when you get to do something like that because you've already had months. Months. <laughs> months of training on that right. one part. Right. Um, yeah, right. I remember my first square dance correction from Suki, and I still remember it every time I perform it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. What, what, is, is, yeah, what is it? He comes on, he does that glissade, glissade, the brise, then the tendu back, and then flips around to tendu front, and she came and fixed my head for the oh, epama. Oh, good. So I'm glad you every asked time for I, that kiss. Every time I do it, I remember that moment. <laughs> <laughs> That's so <right>. great. <laughs> so I'm yeah. in your performance a teeny bit. Yeah. Every time, every time. <laughs> that first correction. Yeah, those those and they again, it's you. the yeah. power of teaching. Like yeah. those moments, those words, the the emphasis on elements of dance, like mm -hmm. they remain with you from your teachers. Which is why it's so important to have really excellent teachers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we're so fortunate to te teach at the school because yeah. there's so much talent, mm -hmm. and that and by the time the students are in the advanced level, they are so hungry. They so much want to dance. There's no problem with any kind of discipline. I mean, they are there a hundred percent for you. 
hanging on every word mm -hmm. and working their hardest. Sometimes mm -hmm. you have to take it easy, you know, and don't yeah. forget mm -hmm. to breathe. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. You know what was weird for me about, like, having your students on stage was this season they had Pulcinella, and then that was made on me, and my second cast was KJ, who I was one of my students. <gasps> wow. So just, like, and he's, like, over 10 years younger than me, so I was, like, I'm sh literally sharing a part that was made on me with one of my students, and we're both still dancing it, and I was, this is so weird. Full yeah. circle. Yeah. <laughs> it was, like, not that I felt old, but it just felt, like passing it down or I don't yes. know yeah. yes yeah. and almost like time yeah like what is time you know <laughs> because yeah. the two of you are doing it at the same time in the same yeah. company and then like, part of me wanted to like like this is what you need to do blah, 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 blah. but I had to be like you know what it's it's his journey now and mm -hmm. like I'll let him figure it out but you just yeah. wanted to be like here's what will help but and that's it's very yeah. much something that George Balanchine wanted too. He like catered to each individual dancer, yeah, and then ultimately let the the dancer have some authority over right. the steps themselves, really, because he would tailor them, which is such it's a and relieving. Some, it, with some people, yeah. I think he even let them invent a few. I mm. mean, I was listening to Jacques D'Amboise talk, like he would. Make something and then Mr. Oh, yeah, okay, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so he I'll wasn't <laughs> he wasn't possessive with his steps, yeah. Mr. Valentine, and mm -hmm. he could change them. It could be this, it could be that, but it had to have a certain look mm -hmm. and fit in the music. Yeah, it's a really freeing thing as a dancer to have the the options. A little, yeah, a mm -hmm. little wiggle room. room. It's, it does feel really good. And I I know uh, we probably all feel that when a choreographer or a coach allows us to do a very personal choice uh -huh. mm -hmm. yeah it's, it feels wonderful but I think it's also nice because since we do all go to the school and speak the same language mm -hmm. when someone does a wiggle it's still in the vocabulary <laughs> yeah. I want to ask about teaching and teaching in the present how was teaching through the pandemic Oh. Oh. How, do we, do we, we don't have to talk about the nightmare but I'm just curious to see how because that is another challenge that none of uh, so coming and it? ever prepared for yes. ever done I mean for me it was a huge challenge because uh, I never had music on a phone I never had any ballet music any I had an old record and a CD and all of a sudden the pandemic and I'm not very good with the computer and this and that and but thank goodness for young people that can uh, share they could share my screen and tell me what to do because we weren't seeing anybody at that in the beginning of the pandemic. You, I, oh, I didn't awful. see even my yeah. grandchildren. So um, Alan Pfeiffer, who was at the school, he helped me. Um, he got music on and he sh told me how to plug this into that to get the computer onto my TV screen so I, they weren't in little teeny boxes. <laughs> they were still in boxes. And then how to get my TV so I could be in the screen mm -hmm. and still to communicate to them and... And then the corrections had to be so verbal. You couldn't touch or poke or move. <laughs> uh, and there, it was difficult for me. I'm much, I'm much better off in person. And they, those poor dancers, the students, they're in kitchens and bathrooms and the garages on cement. I mean, no, in a bedroom, they can't do grandma ma without hitting the dresser or the bed or going to bed, you know. <laughs> How about for you? How was it for you? Yeah, it was awful. It was really bad. Um, <laughs> technology my microphone i had one class i was going on and on and on half an hour and then finally someone types we can't hear you a whole <laughs> half hour i'm just teaching class and no one could hear me and i was like <laughs> <laughs> it was awful yeah but we did it 
it's over for now. Yeah. yeah. That happened to me because uh, all of a sudden I couldn't hear the pianist because uh, eventually we had a, a pianist somewhere in Brooklyn and then I would be in New York and the kids would be all over the country. And all of a sudden I could hear the music and nobody could hear the music. And a cat had walked over uh, somebody's computer and stepped on this mute oh. button. And so there was no music coming in. <laughs> it was the cat's fault. So little things happened like that. But you it did was, it. We really did. You got through it and you taught those kids. Yeah. And some of them got jobs. It was yeah. amazing. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, wow. it was exciting. Yeah. Quite yeah. a few, actually. Yeah. That's also, that must be another exciting moment to see your students get jobs. Really? Or hear about your students getting jobs. Yeah. yeah. It's very exciting, especially in the pandemic. I mean, yeah. because they couldn't audition, really. Mm -hmm. They couldn't go. They had to just send videotapes. And there were so few jobs here for the kids. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So combination of things. I just hope things open up really now yeah. with the boosters and the vaccines. Yeah. And You've been pretty safe this season, right? Yeah, I, yeah. Th I think so. I think yeah. New York City Ballet has done a pretty good job. So We've done a really good job at SME. Yeah, we're really thankful. I think um, we're too busy to be going out and getting sick. Yeah, <laughs> like we, yeah, yeah. we just haven't even had the time. No, we, we come here and then go straight home. <laughs> yeah. 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 Awesome. So thank you so much for being here with us. Yeah, thank you. Well, it was fun to revisit all of you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Let's do it again. I, I'm the grandma. <laughs> <here>. <laughs> yeah, we had such a rich experience at SAV, and now we're so grateful to continue this legacy being in New York City Ballet and to hopefully continue to share on stage and off stage the beauty of the beauty of movement the beauty and dancing of Mr. Yeah. Balanchine and mm -hmm. dancing Robbins and dancing for the New York City yeah. Ballet yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. so it's my pleasure to come to the theater and I'm always there uh, often five times a week I come screaming bravo <laughs> bravo writing email oh I just saw you texting you you look great oh place your foot a little bit better <laughs> <laughs> gotta keep it real, you know. I once got That's... a text from Suki um, giving me a makeup correction on my eyebrows. She's, <gasps> yeah. like, she's like, "You were great in moves, but perhaps a little easier with the eyebrows." <laughs> <laughs> But that's so good because, of you know, they see everything. We, yeah, it's so yeah. helpful. If you see something, say something. Exactly. <laughs> well, I'm saying thank you for having me here. Of course. We're Our pleasure. Yeah, thank you guys so much. I want the real reaction. You want me to be like, ah, next exactly. question? Yeah. <laughs> no, I will not be answering that. My lawyer suggests that I do not answer that. I can't. I play, what is it? I, I, play, I, I plead the fifth. Yeah. I Session. can't. Ah! That should be, our, that's the title of our podcast. I plead the fifth. Ah! <laughs>